Welcome to Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Neil Kalinowski. When we last talked, the U.S. Treasury curve was inverting, but it hadn't inverted all the way. All the tenors hadn't inverted. Since then, a new one has been added to the list. Yes, the three-year. Woo! I'm jacked. I'm excited. Let's talk about it with Jeff Snyder, the head of global research for Alhambra Investments. Jeff, what is there to say? Nothing. End of show. Yeah, that's it, right? The, the, the whole thing's ended. We've gotten what we needed. And, you know, I think that's the, the, really the, the message here that not just this curve, but all the curves and all the other data and all the markets have been sending for a very, very long time is we just keep moving along in the same direction. Can we just add more to the list of things going wrong or add more to the list of indications that are saying, hey, we're not on board with what Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve is doing or thinking or, or the reasons behind everything. And so last week we had the Federal Reserve meeting, the FOMC vote, where they actually said, hey, let's raise the federal funds range. Let's raise IOER. Let's raise the RRP, quote unquote, floor by 25 basis point. We had one Federal Reserve member, I forget who it was, Bullard or somebody, mm -hmm. who said, no, we got to raise it 50. And of course, since then, a couple other FOMC members or, or Federal Reserve officials have said, yes, let's do some 50s because we really need to get ahead of inflation because the White House is really breathing down our necks and Congress and all the other stuff. So we had the rate hike last week. Uh, it actually happened. The yield curve prior to it was slightly inverted between the seven and 10 year, which is sort of an ominous sign on its own, not really for you know, 2018, 2019 back then, but if you go back to 2006, 2007, as well as 1999 and 2000, the seven to 10 year inversion was one of the first warning signs that we were heading into a recession. And of course, very quickly, the FOMC meeting last Wednesday, it wasn't just the seven year, then all of a sudden the five year went above the 10 year, and even the three, as you said, Emil, even the three year went above the 10 year too. So you have the entire middle part of the curve upside down. And then, of course, you have that weird spike at the end of the curve with the 20 years, about 12 basis points above the 30 year, which is another you know, quirk of the yield curve that shows up in, in some of the worst times, too. So, as we said, you know, these things have been coming. The euro dollar futures curve inverted way back in December 1st. We had all sorts of stuff going on before then. And it just gets incrementally, you know, the warnings you know, pile up one after another after another. And so in one sense, it's kind of weird that the the. Uh, the yield curve went slightly inverted and then kind of disappeared last week and then reappeared this week. And it's almost as if the pace for the yield curve, at least in the middle part of it, has quickened over you know, the last couple of weeks. Did you listen to the press conference, Jeff, last week by the chairman? I don't listen to the press conferences, but I read the transcripts, which is <laughs> I think it might even be even more sad. No, no, it's better that way. It's better. I believe if I remember correctly. One of the press, now, of course, they didn't answer any of the questions, ask any of the questions that we want answered, right, Jeff? I would love for you to be there, but they didn't ask about collateral or bills or anything like that. But they did ask something to the effect that forced the chairman to respond, well, I don't really look much beyond the two-year mark. Yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was it's hilarious. A... That was hilarious, right, Jeff? Am I overstating it or is he saying well i only look here and that's all that exists right i only look up to the part where it really starts to signal things going wrong other than that how was the play mrs lincoln <laughs> it's really no, it's, it's, it's amazing it's 
It's absolute denial, right? Because the yield curve is a very straightforward signal. And this is one of the themes that you and I come back to all the time because it's so frustrating. You know, every time we go through this, it's just three years ago. Remember August of 2019, the yield curve inverted between the two-year and the 10-year. And we're, okay, the yield curve inversion, that means something very simple, something very specific. And yet the mainstream was flooded with articles, with speeches, with presentations that said, just ignore the yield curve. It's structurally different. I forget what, how Janet Yellen, Janet Yellen said that. Yeah, she said, you know, you can't you can't listen to the yield curve because our star and term premiums and all sorts of excuses when up until that point, before August in 2019, when the 210s part of the yield curve inverted, the yield curve had predicted that what was actually going to happen happened. So up until that point, it had already been validated. And of course, any number of prior episodes going back to 2005, 2006, and, you know, 1999 and 2000, the end of the dot-com era, Yield curve inversion means something simple and specific. And it usually means something simple and specific in this part of the curve that we're talking about. And yet the Federal Reserve, time and time again, through all of these cycles, whether it's Greenspan back in 2000, you know, the Fed kept hiking all the way into the summer of 2000. Their final rate hike in, June, I think it was June or July 2000, was a 50 basis point one, while the yield curve was already inverted, signaling that the U.S. economy was on its way into a recession, which, of course, it did. So this is what always happens. The yield curve provides this very simple, straightforward message. It's just one that the Federal Reserve officials don't want to hear because it's basically saying, you guys don't know what you're doing. And they always deny it up until the point until they're no longer able to do so. So, you know, Jay Powell at the press conference saying, we only look at the one part of the yield curve that makes us look good. Of course, that's the, the smallest, narrowest part at this point where all the rest of it is completely upside down, distorted, and as we say around here, very, very ugly because a beautiful yield curve is one that's upward sloping front to back, not a lot of steepness to it, but upward sloping because that's optimism, that's hope. If it's you know higher interest rates into the future, that's a good thing. And so anytime the yield curve gets out of that shape at any point along the way, that's a warning sign. And it's a very simple one. Mid-August 2019, Janet Yellen, quote, I'm not sure I would be relying on the yield curve as the best signal of that risk, given the yield curve has obviously not got the same sort of structure that it's had historically. Yeah, obviously, right? Everybody knows you can't rely on the yield curve, even though you can rely on the yield curve far more than the, the Federal Reserve models or you know their uh, speeches and forecasts and everything else. It's just it's, you know, but you understand where they're coming from. They're trying to do something, you know, monetary policy doesn't have money, so it's all psychology. Therefore, they have to maintain this air. They have to maintain this, this presence of technocratic, you know, competence and proficiency. And so any kind of contrary, contradictory signal has to be dismissed. They can't explain it away because explaining it away would require actually explaining it, which Again, it's a very simple and straightforward mechanism. It's a very simple and straightforward message. So the only thing left for them to do is to say, eh, just pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to all this mountain of evidence that says we don't know what the hell we're doing. Just look at this very narrow, tiny part of it, which seems to look like it consistent with what we're doing, what our message is, which by the same, you know, the same token, the euro dollar futures curve is very steep in the front end. But nowadays, it's only really the whites, not the whites and the reds, which is, I'm surprised Jay Powell didn't say that. Well, at least at least we got the whites on our side. The reds have already defected to the inversion side anyway. 
it, it would confuse the financial media on the whites. Is he talking about race, the reds? Are we talking about the Russians? It would be too confusing. Only Eurodal University listeners know what we mean by whites near term. That was, you know, but Emil, that was that was Alan Greenspan's whole shtick, right? I mean, his idea was you never tell people anything. You always, if you get into trouble, you obfuscate, which was, you know, his entire, you know, the testimony before Congress in February of 2005, where he said the yield curve is a conundrum. What he was trying to do was specifically muddy the water so people wouldn't, like today, people wouldn't look at the very straightforward signal the yield curve was sending, and they would be confused rather than saying, oh, this is easy. This is really not that difficult. The curve is in a shape that it's not supposed to be in. That's a warning sign. And so here comes Alan Greenspan before Congress where he says, no, 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 no. This is a big mystery. It's something brand new. It's, you know, it's something that we can't even explain. And ever since then, or at least up until, you know, Ben Bernanke and, and Janet Yellen, the idea was that you don't explain these things. You try to make, make it seem like they're overly complex and complicated. So the layperson just won't even ask any questions whatsoever. And of course, by the time he was doing that regularly, I feel as if he was cowing the legislature and financial media into towing the line because everything was going so well. I don't know what he's saying. I better not rock the boat. Everything's going well. We just hope it continues. But now in 2022, things aren't going so well. And that's why you gave the central bankers a positive reason why they're behaving the way they do because of expectations theory. So they have to put on a pretty face. Another negative expectation, ne negative explanation would be to say, well, it's a, a corruption, a, a bureaucratic corruption. I need to protect my own turf. And it doesn't really matter what the audience or the people or the government expects. It's just my institution that matters. And I need to protect it no matter what the cost to everyone else. Fair enough, but where's the financial media to discern which of these yeah. two these two options or possibilities it is? Why didn't the financial media, after that comment about, well, I only look up to the two-year, why didn't somebody say, are you for real? Something like that. <laughs> you mentioned the Eurodollar futures curve, which also up to the two-year, the near term, just ahead of us, is steep, looks perfect. If you don't look ahead of that, then the Federal Reserve is doing great. But let's say we don't, we can't count on the bond market, okay? Eurodollar futures, we turn to it, we see it's inverted after the very, very near term. And then there's also the interest rate swaps. That's the last item I'd like to go over in our discussion before we turn to some listener questions. Jeff, has there been any update from the interest rate swap world that would tell us anything contradictory to what we're seeing in the treasury curve or Eurodollar futures? Well, that's the thing. There isn't really an update in the swaps market, which is which if Jay Powell rate hikes and all the inflation risk, all these things were the primary concern in these markets, we would see swap spreads moving. But honestly, we haven't. In fact, they've gone mostly sideways to compressing a little bit lower ever since December 1st, when the euro dollar futures curve actually started its own inversion. So the swaps market, which is I mean, Remember, this is fixed for floating. This plain vanilla swap includes a, a fundamental component about short-term interest rates embedded in the prices of the swaps. And then comparing that to the nominal U.S. Treasury of the same maturity gives us a sense of what the market is thinking about all sorts of potential outcomes and risks in, across the economy, across the financial system. And so if the risks were inflation, things going up, the economy getting better, or just interest rates going higher because the Fed wants them to go higher in the short run, 
we would see swap spreads decompressing, which means the, the fixed leg quote of the, the, the vanilla swap would be further and further above the nominal U.S. Treasury rate. And that hasn't happened. The swaps market has been pretty confident, pretty resolute about the fact that it's not pricing for inflation. It's not pricing for even higher interest rates that are going to stick around over the longer term. So compressed swap spreads that haven't really changed from where they were a couple months ago is consistent with what we're saying is, you know, the yield curve starts at a little tiny bit inverted, then gets a little bit more inverted. And then that inversion spreads to the curve, just as the euro dollar futures curve. It started out this little tiny inversion that was way out down the curve. I think it was the, the December 2024 contract. That wasn't the market saying, oh, we're, we're worried about something bad happening at the in early 2025, you know, four, three, four years from now. That's just the market starting to, to hedge against these downside risks, deflationary currency risks, macro risks across the global economy and doing them in just little tiny ways. And if that's all it ever is, if it's ever just, you know, a little bit of inversion way out down the curve, that's really not something to worry about. But if it starts to spread, if it starts to move up the curve, it starts to get deeper along the way, that's when you know something, that's when the market is starting to hedge against not different risks, not that the, you know, recession risk has moved up into 2023 or something like that. What the curve is saying is that the problem that it's hedging against or the potential issues that it's hedging against are becoming more and more certain. The market is becoming increasingly confident. And those who are betting against this down the road negative potential, this deflationary risk, they stop doing it and start joining. They start defecting from the Fed side and start joining those who are edging against this downside case. And that's when the inversion spreads and it goes into other markets and it gets into swap spreads and it gets into all these other things where we look at the entire financial picture. And that's why Jay Powell has to say, oh, we look at the tiny part here. We're OK. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard Jeff mention deflationary potential. And often on Twitter, we're taken to task for saying, well, in consumer prices are not falling. We mean monetary deflationary potential. We're talking about monetary measures, U.S. Treasury curve, Euro dollar futures swap spread. So we're saying there's going to be a deflationary potential to the availability of money, credit, collateral. And eventually that may or may not sweep over into the economy and affect consumer prices, which is, and this, you know, Emil, that's, I know we, we weren't planning on maybe talking about this too much, but Let's do it. You know, that's something we saw this week. In fact, just yesterday, which was February or March 23rd, we saw treasury bills. Treasury bills are a hugely short supply, very scarce. So that the, the four week bill rate plummeted in the early morning hours of yesterday's trading, which as we talked about and documented for a long time for basically the entire run of the show, these scrambles for collateral are deflationary currency taking place right now. And so just yesterday, you had the four-week Treasury bill that was down around 12 basis points, even though last week the Federal Reserve put the RRP rate at 30. So you have the four-week bill that was 16, 17, 18 basis points during the day below the RRP rate, which only indicates that there's an enormous premium paid in the marketplace for especially four-week treasury bills, but also eight-week treasury bills too. So it's above and beyond any investment consideration because why would you own a four-week treasury bill that's yielding just 13 basis points when you can do a collateralized repo-like obligation or transaction with the Federal Reserve's reverse repo window that pays you 30? And it's also collateralized by U.S. Treasury securities. 
So the only reason why treasury bill yields would go so far below the RRP alternative is because there's some other form of value in those instruments. And of course, we know that's just collateral. The more scarce the collateral is in the marketplace, which is its own currency-like function, the more we know there's deflationary currency potential. And as we talked about last week in a couple of our episodes, there is a money explanation or a monetary case for why these curves are inverted too. Deflationary money potential becomes deflationary economic potential, which is what you get into in the yield curve in particular. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed or are curious to hear more about this discussion about RRP and the bill rates, we're going to delve into it in episode 207. Right now we're on episode 206. If you've liked what we've talked about regarding Euro dollars, treasury curve and swap spreads, you can read more about it at the Alhambra Investments website. This particular article we were discussing was posted on the 21st of March, 2022. Inversion is the real March madness. Just don't take it literally. Jeff, we have a couple of minutes left and sometimes people ask us questions on Twitter and you're rereading uh, Monetary History of America and you don't have time to respond to everybody. So we're gonna go over them right now. Here's a question from Bitspock, at Bitspock. When do treasuries die? At what point do they become untouchable? It sounds that's, like- That's, you know, that's a good question because it talks about the, the long run risks of the market versus the short run uses of what we just talked about, which is collateral and why there's so much value in treasury bills. So you look at, you know, the credit risk of the US government and it's atrocious, it's awful. The federal right. government is the most broke institution in human history. And it's getting broker by the second. You know, the current administration touted how they got to reduce the deficit from a historic high to a less historic high, which I think most people realize wasn't really that much of a change. We're still borrowing a trillion dollars a year or some ridiculous number uh, for the foreseeable future. So you would think these treasury securities should be worthless. But as we've shown time and time again, what's happening here is that liquidity risks override all sense of bond vigilantism which is credit risk is a down the road, far out in the future problem. Whereas we have more immediate concerns today, just surviving the day, getting through with enough collateral. What that has done is it has given the federal government the ability to ride this deflationary coattail by essentially the market will buy however much of treasury securities the federal government has to sell or feels it has to sell or will ever be able to sell because the safe and liquid is in demand and unfortunately, what the federal government offers is safe and liquid, at least in terms of its liquidity characteristics and its use as collateral in these marketplaces. So if you're thinking about the treasury market from a credit risk standpoint, you think these things are worthless. But if you look at them as, as, as we do, as balance sheet tools, then when the four-week treasury bill yield is 18 basis points or 15 basis points below RRP, that makes perfect sense. It makes sense in the terms of the monetary system as it actually is, not the credit risks of an insolvent government becoming even more insolvent by the day. Jeff, what do you think about the recent actions by Team West, I'll call them, in sanctioning Russia, in invalidating their reserves, performing something similar that was done to Iran, uh, I know the United Kingdom at one point said, no, Venezuela, you can't have your gold back. These things have happened more recently. They've collected. There seems to be a collection of these geopolitical, political decisions, political interference within 
the international liquidity system or the, at the reserves level. So I wonder if Team Not West has to start factoring in the political considerations, China, anyone else who's on the hit list, I can't think of all the countries, Burma, whatever, these countries might now be looking for alternatives to U.S. Treasury securities. Now, of course, the and European debt, as well as Japanese government bonds, because these are all Team West. Now, of course, I don't know, is there an alternative? This must be a very difficult decision that they're having. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, just very quickly, very briefly, it's the reason why everybody's on Team West, as you say, and they're forced to be on Team West. And really, sanctions and confiscations aren't anything new. I mean, the euro dollar itself arose out of the Soviet Union's fears of confiscation back in the 1950s. And in fact, the euro dollar system itself was a means to circumvent that the political power. And I would I would submit that that's one of the reasons why the euro dollar is still around to this day is because despite all the fuss, despite all the fury in the mainstream media, you know, the White House statement saying that they've cut Russia off from the financial system, that's just not true. The euro dollar is available because it's a private, decentralized, ad hoc arrangement of global banks who are in the business of banking. And so, yes, the governments can confiscate certain accounts, assuming governments know where those accounts or those assets are. So if the Russians or the Chinese or whoever else are maintaining, you know, ad hoc one off correspondent relationships with banks around the rest of the world, those are out of the reach of uh, West Team West authorities, which is kind of the point. Even if they're transacting in U.S. dollar denomination or U.S. dollar assets or euro denominated assets, or who was it I just saw issued samurai bonds for the first time in a long time, which are nothing more than euro yen assets. And the, the point I'm trying to make here is that not only does the euro dollar, this decentralized system, somewhat beyond the control of governments, it's a necessary component to being a part of the global economy and the global financial system. The U.S. dollar, the euro dollar is the global reserve currency system. And if you want to participate in the global economy, which everybody has to, it's not a luxury nowadays. It's a requirement to any modern economy, including China, Russia and everybody else. You've got to participate in the global reserve system, which is one reason why nobody has created an alternative to it, because unless it's immediately acceptable in a wide uh, variation of places, it's utterly useless. So the euro dollar already reaches into every corner of the earth. And so it's just a matter of using it as best as you possibly can. So if you're on team not West, some of it's still open to you. You still got to be involved in the global marketplace anyway. So it's not as easy as just saying we're going to go and use something else. Because let's face it, if they could, they would have long before today. Excellent. Thank you, Jeff. Let's talk again soon. All right. Take care, Emil. Mm-hmm.